The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Archaeology is often viewed as a fascinating, eclectic, and ultimately quaint pursuit. This program explores archaeology from the perspective of professionals who demonstrate that in the 21st century, archaeology and its sub-disciplines may hold the key, not only to our past, but to our present and future. Welcome to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, with your host, Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Spend the next hour exploring where we came from and where we're headed with a leading researcher and practitioner in the field. Now, here is Dr. Schuldenrein. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. Uh, this is a special topic that we're bringing you today. This will be our second program on the archaeology of urban environments with a particular focus on New York City which is in my backyard, so I'm especially familiar with the machinations and with the intellectual benefits that we have from undertaking archaeology in this part of the world in a very, very complex urban environment. And today, what we're going to focus on is how the procedure from the perspective of compliance and funding and organization and public outreach is implemented in what a lot of people have said is, is a very, very beneficial way in the past couple of years in this city. And uh, I am pleased to have three representatives of each component of the archaeological process, the sponsor of the project, the archaeologist who is undertaking the project, and the regulator who is primarily involved in, make, in uh, assessing the balance between the two and guiding the direction of the project itself. Uh, one of the major components, as I said earlier, is public outreach, and we'll discuss that as well. Um, we also have a segment at the end of the program in which we undertook a survey that we fed out through Facebook and Twitter to get some input from the public internationally, I might add, on the various topics that we are talking about in this program and specifically the public outreach and the construction aspect of the archaeology as well as the archaeological findings themselves. I'd like to uh, very briefly summarize the backgrounds of our three uh, distinguished guests. Uh, Mr. Tom Foley is an assistant commissioner for the New York City Department of Design and Construction. He received his BS at, the, uh, Man at Manhattan College and has worked as a civil engineer in New York City for over 20 years. Uh, Mr. Foley is responsible for all the critical infrastructure projects in Manhattan with an active capital program exceeding $650 million, including the reconstruction of roadways, rehabilitation of retaining walls, and work related to the installation of water tunnel number three right now, in any case, an ambitious new improvement water uh, distribution project. The archaeologist at the center of the work uh, for this project is Ms. Alyssa Luria. She's the president of Chrysalis Archaeological Cons uh, Consultants of Brooklyn, New York. 
She received her graduate degrees from Brooklyn College and the City University of New York. Her research focuses the study of the development of New York City of New York City from the Dutch period through the turn of the 20th century. Miss Luria's projects include the South Street Seaport area and New York City's City Hall. Ms. Luria is a lifelong Brooklyn resident, I would add, who is committed to local history and preservation. And Ms. Amanda Sutfin is the Director of Archaeology for the New York City Landmarks Preservation Commission, the LPC, which is an agency that oversees New York City's architectural, historical, and cultural heritage. She received her MA in Anthropology at Penn State University, as well as a Master's in Social Work from Hunter College. Amanda Sutfin has worked as an archaeologist in New York City for over 16 years. Her current research interests focus on the evolution of burial practices in the city, uh, all of you, thank you so much for participating. Well, thank you for having us. Uh, I'd like to start with uh, with you, Tom. Uh, this is obviously um, a situation in which you're coming in as sort of the sponsor of the project, the uh, the individual who really is involved in trying to integrate archaeology in a much larger construction perspective. Why don't you tell us how these projects came along and how you actually interface with the archaeologists based on this project and possibly projects earlier than this as well? There is um, New York City Department of Design and Construction. We have uh, basically two client agencies. One is the Department of Environmental Protection. Uh, the other is the Department of Transportation. And in essence, the uh, the, the sole purpose of, of our department is to coordinate internally with the city, where the, basically the city's engineers and architects. Um, <clears throat> so when we proceed with a capital uh, construction project, such as the ones that we have. We have num- um, several in Lower Manhattan, uh, one of which is uh, Fulton Street and the other is Pexlet. When we um, when we come out with a we uh, potential for the initial design, we um, incorporate not only um, the, the water mains and the sewers, but also the private utilities as well. So it's a full, uh, basically all-encompassing work from city aspect and also from the private utilities. And these and, are two. Geog- yeah, go ahead. Go I'm ahead. sorry. These are two geog- This is two, um, two separate projects, but uh, very close uh, as far as uh, the locations in Lower Manhattan. Now, as far as integrating the archaeology into the process, one of the issues that a lot of us uh, have dealt with in the past, certainly from the archaeology perspective, is where archaeology comes in the planning process. And there seems to be at least a growing awareness right now that planning has to come in at the front end rather than at the last minute, oh, there's archaeology here, Uh, the project has a possibility of stalling development and construction. Where have we come in terms of of putting archaeology as a planning element in the staged phases of project design? Well, I think that um, certainly the city of New York is is at the forefront of this, um, and in particular to these reconstruction projects in Lower Manhattan, um, when the when the scope is for a um, for a full reconstruction, such as the case that we have now, what we'll do is. Um, We'll, we'll meet only, we'll certainly meet with the utility companies as well, but also, uh, depending on the geographical location, if it's in a landmarked area, we'll reach out to Amanda and her team and ensure that prior to any of the work that occurs in the field, that, um, there's a phase 1A, basically a study of the area, and depends on the, the, the results of this study, 
um, whether or not we'll have an archaeological team that will be um, basically integrated into our engineering oversight. So not only will we will we be overseeing the the general construction, but also to have um, assistance from um, from an from an outside consultant um, to basically to work as part of our team. Amanda, walk us, if you would, through this particular project. Uh, we're talking about two projects here, the Fulton Street Project and the Peck Slip Project. If you would, give us sort of a chronology of your interaction with, with Mr. Foley and with the, with the project sponsors uh, for this particular project and how you worked out the logistics and the agreements in the, at the uh, early planning phases. Um, well, the projects are, are subject to environmental review as well. So, um, because of the, the, some of the funding sources. So, um, it's under the review of landmarks and actually also the State Office of Historic Preservation. Um, so, uh, the DDC reached out to us early on. We looked at the, the plan, the proposal, and recommended that there be archaeology. So, the first step is that money is, is, uh, is uh, secured to pay for an archaeological contractor. And then they uh, contract out to hire an archaeological contracting firm. Um, then they hire the archaeologist. Then we meet again with the archaeologist and the um, design team and the and the contractor who's the general contractor who's who's laying the new pipe, etc. Then we all meet together to talk about the appropriate protocol. Then the archaeological contractor lays out a very formal scope of work, how the project will be run, which we review and approve. Okay, in this particular area, I mean, you're talking about one of the densest. Uh subsurface concentrations of infrastructure that there is in the world, basically. How do you deal with that, and how do you integrate your ideas, Tom and, and uh, Amanda, as to how to go about doing this? I mean, how did, how did that work out? Well, I, just, I should probably just say that years ago, uh, most archaeologists would have written off these areas because there was an assumption the street beds are really very densely developed with different utilities and different development that have occurred. So most archaeologists would have thought that there could be nothing, no intact resources could remain in, 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 this, in this kind of environment. And so years ago, it just would have been written off. However, we did see in, in, in the 1990s, we did see examples of intact resources that were found in similar cases. And so this is why we were lobbying DDC to include archaeology. And how did DDC re- respond to that? I, I really have to say, and, and DDC has been terrific, and particularly uh, Commissioner Foley. And, Tom, when you heard that this had to happen, how did you go about um, initiating conversations first initial, uh, internally with your group and then with, uh, with Amanda and ultimately with, uh, with the archaeological contractor, Chrysalis? How did you go about doing that? Um, when, the, when the projects, um, when it's certainly during the design phase, these, um, it's during the design phase and when, it, when, we're, when we already have a, and, and the, uh, the end portion of that, when we have a general contractor bidding on the work, uh, at that point we go through our, one of our uh, consulting engineers um, that basically are an extension of our own internal staff. And through these, through these contracts we have a means of um, hiring an archaeological team to do a, you know, the, the environmental review to do the phase 1A, assess, uh, basically an assessment. And from that point on, um, the, this, this is then reviewed by Amanda's group and also by the state office, the SHPO office. Um, and then um, basically when we start our work, 
um, depending on, on obviously the scope and the contract the schedule, and that's when we would bring a, a chrysalis on, even you know obviously after the phase one A is done, but then also to have that on-site presence, which is really key to um, obviously any any form of uh, excavation, whether that's by machine um, or by you know most and and because of the proximity of all the local utility facilities and the city infrastructure. Um, I think one of the key components is that in Lower Manhattan, um, most of the excavation is done by hand, so it's not a hindrance at all to the to the project um, as far as uh, any any potential delays um, when 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 there are fines and when there and when there's significant fines, um, you know obviously it's 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 some um, it's more of a visual observation at first, and then obviously the the laborers in that are working with with Alyssa and her team when when there is um, a potential there. So uh, basically, you're saying that the archaeology is at least uh, in place or uh, well along in the planning phase before the ground is actually broken, or is the ground broken first? I think people would like to know that. No, this is um, just to clarify. When 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 we're working in a particular area, we have a we're given a general scope of work, and the city, uh, the Department of Design and Construction, will design. We have a whole separate design staff who will come in and design these projects. Um, and it's during this phase, depending on the, um, you know, where where it's located, and if it's in a landmarked area, landmarked district, this uh, this will um, determine whether or not there's an environmental review or a phase one A. So it is it's early on in the process where it's identified, obviously the the geographical location, but also the scope of work and as far as. Uh, what work is we're doing and, and, and how deep is our excavation. As Amanda had indicated earlier is that, um, you know, if we were just going out and doing, um, you know, reconstructing, uh, sidewalks or, uh, catch basins and that, it's not a deep excavation and therefore it wouldn't really entail to have an archaeological team, um, as, as part of our, you know, as part of the overall um, effort, with, with, but but certainly the, these are two large projects. One, one's thirty million, one's another one's twenty-five million. The the both ongoing in Lower Manhattan, which entail um, installing new sewers, water mains, transit authority uh, facilities, which can go down to fifteen feet uh, in depth. So obviously, there's a lot of uh, um, potential there. So. Um, the archaeological team will will be will be with us certainly um, at the beginning stages of the project. And on that note, we're going to have to take a brief break, and we will be back in a, about a minute or so and continue our fascinating discussion on the archaeology of uh, Lower Manhattan uh, right after these words. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Explore the power and beauty in yourself and in others. Tune in to The Stacy Stern Show, enriching you. Every week, Stacy Stern will connect you with men and women who are living and working from a place of passion. Stacy's guests include successful authors, filmmakers, actors, experts, and leaders. You'll hear what inspires each of them, and you'll be turned on to great films, books, and new media. Tune in to The Stacy Stern Show, enriching you, Tuesdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. It's all about action. Touchdown! 
scores. Taking a look at the NBA tonight. Highlights. He's broken loose. He's at the 30. And headlines. Big trade in the NFL this afternoon. When you are looking to talk sports, look no further than the Voice America Sports Network. We bring you some of the biggest names and all the sports news you can handle. Whether it's basketball. Off the glass. Football. Come on. Golf. Racing. Or the Olympics. We've got you covered. We'll even cover tailgating. Tune in to the Voice America Sports Network. It's all things sports. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra goarc.com. Now, back to the program. Hi there, we're back. This is Joe Schuldenrein, uh, Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, and we are talking about the evolution of an archaeological project in uh, the lower portion of Manhattan, which is one of the densest populated and has one of the most densely uh, concentrated infrastructures beneath the ground in the world and doing archaeology here is obviously a huge challenge. We have been talking to uh, Mr. Tom Foley who is the assistant commissioner for the New York City Department of Design and Construction who is uh, basically sponsoring a huge amount of this work and we are talking also with Amanda Sutfin who is the regulatory agent for the project with the Landmarks Commission Preservation Commission of New York City and also with Alyssa Luria who is the archaeological contractor I just want to step back one moment before we actually get into the archaeological details Tom as you get into this project how do you go back selecting a contractor and and what are the criteria that you're using and when do you actually do the contracting operation uh, in, in what part, part in, the, in the process are you actually going to get the contractor the uh, as far as the general contractor that's a low bid but as far as um, determining the archaeological team what we'll do is prior to the start of construction um, right after the design phase will um, will the department will reach out to Amanda um, for um, basically to request names uh, of firms that she has um, good experience with, um, and then from that point we'll put out requests for proposals from these firms, oh, and based upon um, uh, you know quality of work, uh, price, then what we'll do is we'll select um, a firm like Chrysalis um, that we're working with now and be able to to, um, to procure their services through through an existing contract. So it's basically an extension of our staff. Okay, and I should so, just clarify, Landmarks can't recommend any contractor. We just right. recommend people we know are qualified. And, yeah. and the, sub, the contractor is selected as an independent entity. Are they subbing to a larger, con, a la, a larger sub on the project, or they are, are they a direct subcontractor to you? The general, basically, from uh, as far as the construction work that's, that's occurring, there is a we we just um, put out a put out the contracts. Um, it's a low bid process, 
and the uh, most the qualified uh, contractor is selected. They're the general contractor. They do you know a good sixty five to seventy percent of all the associated work. They're required to sub out certain portions of it, but that's more of the ancillary work, such as the um, the street lighting and some of the granite curves, the supply, the trucking, the the paving. But the, generally, the the work is that's that's being performed. Um, on all our uh, critical infrastructure projects are being performed by the general contractor. Now, is the archaeologist subbing to the general contractor or directly to you? The archaeologist, the the general contractor is performing all associated work. And what we do is we have provisions in our contract to pay the contractor. So, in essence, if there is, um, with a, say specifically on Fulton Street or on Pexlip, if there is a significant find or something that is. Uh, of question, something where they may have um, questions regarding you know slow down an operation or to actually perform hand excavation to retrieve something. We have provisions in our contract to pay the contractor basically time and material um, to compensate for them for that for that portion of work. So we have, we have items in our contract to compensate the contractor, and we work through our existing um, resident engineer contract in order to compensate the uh, the archaeological team that's assigned to okay. the job. Okay, but that's that's all done through the general contractor, right? That's correct. Okay. Alyssa, so now you're in on the action and uh, you've been selected and where where does it start for you? Where does where does your interaction with both uh, Landmarks and with Tom's agency, how does that work and, and, and walk us through the procedure of getting started with the archaeology and coordinating your activity? Usually it begins with pre-construction meetings. DDC has been very proactive in making sure that the archaeologist or the archaeological team is included in all pre-construction meetings and conversations that occur. And in many ways, there will be direct conversation with LPC and Amanda, and at times the archaeologist myself will act as a liaison between the project and LPC, sort of keeping all parties informed. So as we go through the pre-construction meetings, it's possible to highlight certain aspects of the project that might be, or certain areas of the project that may be of greater concern than others. And one of, I think, I believe the important uh, aspects that we've been undertaking recently is with support from DDC and the engineering firms, we've been doing archaeological sensitivity trainings for the construction workers where we will give them an overview of the history of the area, what the archaeological team's role is on site, what our responsibilities are, and what their responsibilities are. We also introduce them to the types of artifacts and materials that they might find. So a lot of it involves direct communication and making sure that all players and parties are on the same page. Let me let me interrupt you for one second. Are you doing this on a formal basis, or are you doing this as you're running your excavation, or are you doing sort of an orientation for the workers, which sounds like a wonderful thing, by the way. How, do you, how, are, how are you doing that? We're doing this as an orientation for the workers, similar as many construction sites have a site safety orientation. These projects have included an archaeological orientation. And we often give printed out materials, handout materials, and we encourage the workers to ask questions. And usually this is done within the first week of excavation starting. 
Okay. And uh, walk us through the excavation now. So you have your pre-construction meetings. You're developing an excavation strategy. You have a very, very uh, sort of an ominous task in front of you. I mean, this is a very, very major part of uh, of the city. Um, and where do we go from there? How, how are you uh, structuring your excavation strategy? How many people are you employing? And how, how do you spread people out across the area that you're going to excavate? We are basically following the construction schedule as put forward for the construction itself by the utilities that need to be replaced and the order that the engineers and the designers have proposed. We generally have one to two archaeologists shadowing each of the construction teams as they're excavating by hand. So there's always an, an inspector, an archaeological inspector, archaeologist, working with the construction workers as they excavate. Um, the majority of the work is being undertaken by the construction workers. The archaeologists come into play when a find is uncovered. Then we go in and we're the ones to conduct the archaeological excavation, the documentation, and the recovery. In other words, so you're, as you said, you're shadowing the formal excavation for the projects, for the construction work, and then effectively when you reach something that's of significance, then the protocols change a bit and you sort of regroup is what I'm guessing here. Yes. One of the things that we've started to do, um, we've, I've been working with Commissioner Foley and Ms. Sutphin in this area since 2005, and we've established a set of protocols and we have going into the project all sorts of plans of what the process will be. So when a find is uncovered, the workers and the foremen, the engineers, everybody already knows that we're going to stop temporarily. The archaeologists are going to come in, assess the find, make a determination. Do we need to excavate archaeologically further? Is it okay to proceed with construction? So there's a lot of development in the field as it occurs, but we have a well-laid-out set of protocols. If this happens, then this is how we will proceed. So obviously, you know, and and, and this is one of the elements that I think a lot of people should understand who are listening to the program, that by and large, there is a very reasonable expectation of what will be found on an excavation. In other words, uh, you shouldn't be absolutely surprised by most things. You have an idea when you're coming upon something, what it is and how to go about excavating it and where to go, correct? Yes, part of the process. And part of our role is to make ourselves aware of the types of features and artifacts, materials, deposits that we might find. So we do have this general background of what we think may be found in an area. I think I think you want to explain a little bit what features are to some of the folks who don't know what that is? Absolutely. Uh, features, I guess the classic textbook definition would be an archaeological find that is immovable, such as a well or a foundation wall would be considered a feature. But we also consider large deposits of artifacts to be a feature. Say a trash deposit could also be considered a feature. Right. So so the feature is discovered and then all of a sudden your strategy changes a bit because you have to concentrate on the feature. You have to do the systematic documentation, photography, recordation, and, and probably get a number of people involved in this. So you would probably have some additional crew involved, correct? 
All of it, depending on the size of the feature or the find, we can call in additional crew. Sometimes it's a very small find, and the one or two persons on site can handle all the necessary tasks. One of the things that we always keep in mind with the construction teams um, that we are, you know, bring up right from the beginning is that there may be times where we need to step in and we might need a day or two or a bit longer to recover and document a find. So please plan ahead and they're able to work in other locations. Okay. And you're moving, and, and now where are you in these two particular projects right now in terms of the excavation? The Fulton Street project is probably in the tail end. Um, it's coming toward a close. Pexlip just started this past summer, but I believe Tom could give you a better idea of the schedule. Okay, Tom? Yes, the, uh, the, I would say that you know, Fulton Street, the, the project is approximately 75% complete. And uh, as Alyssa had indicated, the uh, the Pexlip project has just uh, well within certainly started within the last eight months in earnest, and uh, we should be out there um, for another three years. Okay. Um, at this point, we're going to take another break, and we're going to come back and sort of march through the chronology of events and the um, systematics of archaeological excavation when we come back after these words. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you a homeowner who's trying to save on energy bills and go green at the same time? Tune into Energy Saving in the Home, brought to you by 521 Compressor Saver and Home Energy Consultants with host Gary Parr and Dennis Seltzer. They have saved homeowners just like you as much as 65% on energy bills through energy efficiency practices. You'll learn about conservation, products, and services to reduce energy consumption and save you money. Be sure to listen to Energy Saving in the Home, live every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the Hoffman Connection for inspiration, a life of passion and purpose. Hosts Raz and Grossi and Ed McLoon will bring you ways to remove the blocks in your life that are holding you back. Along with their guest experts, Raz and Ed will use their experience and expertise to help you learn to get closer to what matters to you most. And by doing so, improve your life and the lives of others. The Hoffman Connection can be heard live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in for encouraging and motivational stories every week on Minding Your Business, Living Life Beyond Invisible Barriers. Your host, Dr. David A. Blender, brings together guests from all walks of life who not only have found personal and professional success, but who are committed to help you achieve success. Each week and with each story, we strive to change the world a little bit at a time. Minding Your Business, Living Life Beyond Invisible Barriers is broadcast live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Chicken, 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 chicken
listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra-goarc.com. Now, back to the program. This is Joe Schuldenrein. We're back uh, with the program, Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. We are sort of walking through an archaeological excavation, uh, and, and it was brought to my attention that probably a lot of the listenership is not familiar exactly where this is. Well, I'm sure a lot of folks are familiar where Manhattan Island is, certainly one of the major landmarks in the world. This is in the area of the South Street Seaport, which is a major attraction for most tourists. It's where the uh, boats are moored on the East River. So if you can imagine, it's a pretty uh, densely moved and densely moving area. It's, uh, there's, there's a lot of infrastructure underneath the ground. There's a lot of people moving above the ground. So uh, there's a tremendous amount of traffic, and I can imagine that it's a huge logistical issue to keep this going. Uh, Tom, will you speak to that a little bit about the logistics of, of doing this excavation in this uh, very, very active part of the city? The, uh, I think some of the, the key components of our excavations, which vary from you know five feet of depth to over fifteen twenty, is uh, is our outreach, and that's to the business and the residential community. As far as what the expectations are, we give them monthly. We send out monthly news newsletters. Also, a week look ahead. We have uh, liaisons that are assigned to these projects, to these critical infrastructure projects, um, basically full time. So that if any issues do arise, um, they know they have a, there's a key contact person on each of these particular projects, and obviously working together with landmarks, with the Department of Transportation, and various utility facilities. So that way, uh, we're all on the same page. And, um, and I think that's you know that's one of the things that we certainly learned throughout the years is the communication is key in any aspect of the work. Let's talk a little bit about the outreach. Is the outreach component of the project? factored in at the beginning or does it emerge as a result of what you're finding and how it's moving along? Uh, Alyssa, you want to get into that a little bit? I think the hope is always there from the beginning that there will be some semblance of public outreach, but often I believe that has to be guided by the what you're finding, the interest, if there is interest from the local community. And with regard to both Fulton and Peck Slip, um, as you said, it's a very high traffic area. There has been a lot of interest, and not only from the residents and the businesses, but also from local, some local media and local schools as well. So we've been provided with a number of opportunities to develop, and it's in very much in process of developing, a public outreach program. Uh, starting with uh, Tom and I had gone into a classroom and have put together a presentation for classes that sort of ties the whole thing together, what DDC is doing, the history and the archaeology, pretty much past, present, and future, if you will. Um, You know, building New York City for the future is enabling us to learn about its past. And in many ways, people don't necessarily think about what's beneath their feet as they walk through Manhattan. And so is this, is there a formal program or is there a formal scope that's built into the contract at the beginning? Or again, does it take its 
form or shape as you're moving along? How did, how did you work out the outreach and, 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 and how is that being structured? It largely has been taking its form during the project. There is some mention of the hope to do public outreach in the initial scopes of work. But again, that has to be guided on if you find something, right. what you're finding. Um, the community liaisons that DDC has assigned to each project, um, not only do they update about utility shutdowns or which streets are going to be open and closed at various times, they have also updated about the archaeology and put that out to the local community. With the Fulton and Peck slip projects, uh, we've been lucky to have a number of finds that we've been able to bring into the classrooms. One of the other public outreach um, items on tap is we're going to do some signage attached to the construction areas to update the community and passers-by about the archaeological discoveries. And we're hoping to bring what we're learning and bring it to more classrooms um, and possibly talk with some local museums and other groups for public presentations. All very much developing as we go along. Good. So tell us a little bit about the specifics. Do you take exhibits to the schools? I mean, are, are there presentations done on sites? How, how is that working? And do, the other thing, of course, is that's curious is do you interact with the PR department from the DDC, the public relations folks, or how does that all work? Um, yes to all. We did, um, for a specific example, we had done a school visit to a local school, second graders, and we brought some of the artifacts to the classroom where I gave a presentation, and Tom also gave a presentation about the construction work and what is being done and how the archaeology and construction are working together hand-in-hand to help build the city for the future, to help learn more about the past. And it was a wonderful experience. The kids were very excited. We got these great letters back from the kids thanking us for coming, and all of them wanted to know where we found the artifacts and where it is that we do our work. So this was recently followed up with an on-site visit that DDC, the, um, their PR department, and the construction teams from both projects all worked together to bring these students to the site, and we were able to show them how we're doing the archaeology, where we were finding the artifacts that they were lucky enough to see in their classroom, as well as to give them a different perception about what happens beneath New York City streets. As one of the little girls asked me, do all the streets really look like this underneath? <laughs> right. Yeah. But there's so much going on. They're very busy, but it's like they're hollow. They've all been dug out, and in many ways that's true. Um, as their teacher said, they'll never pass by or go through you know, their, air, their neighborhood again and think of it the same way. Um, so that has been um, a wonderful component of the program that we're hoping to bring to more schools in the neighborhood and in the lower Manhattan area in general. And through this, we've worked with various aspects within DDC, not only with Tom, but also with the PR department. Amanda, give me a little bit of perspective on how public outreach has changed 
in in the time that you've been at Landmarks and, and how your office is starting to direct this type of a component in archaeology uh, towards a broader to broader public consumption. How has that changed and where is it going and uh, the bird's eye perspective on that, if you would? Well, I, I think in the, in the past, and, and I'm sure you, you remember this from some of your own projects, Joe, but very often the project managers did not want a lot of people to know about anything that was going on on a project. And, right. um, and especially, you know, they didn't want press interest. They just wanted the project to be done as quietly as possible, which was really a huge, a missed opportunity, obviously for archaeology, but also for the project. And um, hopefully Tom can talk about some of the benefits that, that this project has, has reaped from, from this interest um, in the archaeology and in what they're doing. Um, so we've, we have seen a slow evolution um, of having project managers be much more open about the archaeology that's occurring and, and starting to showcase it. Um, I've been very excited, though, with this, these particular projects because I really think DDC has taken a lot of leadership in, in opening themselves up, being transparent as possible, and encouraging the press and public schools to be interested in what they're doing, which is terrific. And your office presumably is also obviously involved in this because you're engaged in all aspects of the project. Yeah, so we, we, we've, been, we've been encouraging them to do this. Um, we, we have. Um, it, we, we've, we, we've, though, we, I, I will admit, though, we, we certainly have been tried to encourage other project managers to, to take a similar route without such success. So. Yeah, and, and, and your leverage is limited, I, I imagine. Or, or, yes, yes, we, 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 or, yes, it's more well-meant advice. Yes. Tom, does your agency see a very large benefit to this type of promotion, public education, outreach, um, that sort of thing? Are you are you seeing that that there's a positive response to 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 your organization because you're going the extra mile to bring this information to the public? Well, the the department, certainly the commissioner, Commissioner Bernie, feels that it's 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 very very important and. And one of those, one of the aspects certainly within infrastructure is we have such a, um, as you had mentioned on, uh, in the introduction, we have $650 million worth of capital construction going on in Manhattan. And right. we're, we're not in the uh, luxurious as far as having a minimal impact on people just putting up a vertical building. Uh, we're quite the opposite actually. We're, you know, all our work is horizontal. We're digging down. And it's, a, and at times because of the amount of work that needs to be done, with the narrow roadways of lower Manhattan and, you know, we're replacing, uh, water main from 1880 over on Fulton Street. So these are the things that when, when we are out there, we have, we have this presence. We're, we're part of the community, whether we like it or not. And, um, and I think it's, it's the, um, it's very important for the, for the outreach, for, certainly for our job, but then also for, uh, for the community to know what exactly it is we're doing out there. And when you have this other aspect of it as far as the archaeological finds and the history lessons, and and it's certainly people uh, historically would come in and say, oh, you know, I can't get out of a cab with my high heels, and, uh, you know, it's it's, it's so <laughs> dusty. And, and these are the things that we've certainly encountered. But as soon as you mention it, people take it for granted, obviously, you know, put on the spigot and they have the water and put the lights on, everything's set. But as soon as you mention, okay, these were the finds, you know, we found some plates from George Washington's inauguration, and oh my goodness, and then uh, this is this is amazing, and this is what you're doing. And then all of a sudden the, the blinders come off, um, and they actually take a, a real 
um, uh, take not not necessarily ownership, but they ter- certainly take an interest in the within the project, um, and they certainly then they start reading the newsletters that we send out on a monthly basis and the weekly look aheads. Um, so the outreach is the outreach is there, and I think it, it piques the community's interest as far as um, as far as what we're doing out there, and the transparency is so key. So that way, if in fact you know, we say, listen, we're going to be out. We're going to be your neighbors, whether you know whether you like it or not. In essence, for five years, uh, because <laughs> of all the associated work that's going on in Lower Manhattan, um, and this is, you know, this is obviously one component of it, um, but it's certainly something that's very, very the community, uh, business and residential community is very, very interested in. So DDC is obviously seeing a benefit to this too, and uh, sort of uh, promoting its own image as, as sort of giving back to the community while they're doing this, which is obviously a very positive effect on the community itself. Right. Where um, you know I'm an engineer, my my commissioner is an architect, but at the end of the day, we're still civil civil service. So so where you know we have a, a job to do certainly in the street, but then we have to look at the the, the broader picture. As far as working in an area and what the benefit is to that, to the, you know, we went out to PS 276 in Lower Manhattan, as, as Alyssa had indicated, um, the, the students, it, it brings it brings forth not only the engineering aspect of the work, but also um, the historical facts as far as what they're, you know, and, and that'll be incorporated into their lesson plans at school. So these are the things that um, that I think that, you know, the community loves to hear about. And we'll be back with our concluding section on this discussion after these words. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra-goarc.com. Now, back to the program. We're back, and this is our concluding segment of our program on uh, archaeology 
and the involvement of three major components in the archaeological and compliance process, the uh, regulators, the uh, sponsor of the program, and the archaeologists themselves. And I think we've, we've presented sort of a pretty interesting scenario of how uh, cooperative engagement can really yield very, very productive results in, in a very complicated archaeological scenario uh, that, that is New York City in this particular case. Uh, one of the things that we did do is in advance of the broadcast through the magic of, show, of uh, social networking, we put a couple of questions out to the public and we got a fair representative and uh, highly charged series of responses um, and, and I, I'd like our guests to chime in if, if they if feel so disposed. But the first question that we generated here was, in your opinion, what can be done to improve the public outreach in order to educate the public about the findings and the significance of archaeology? And an overwhelming consensus, well, not overwhelming, but certainly 55% to 60% of the people responded on the order of saying, get more people involved by giving them instruction on what the archaeology means and possibly giving them some experience in the field. So um, I don't know what to make of that. I mean, we're obviously not going to take the kids and put them down in the trenches, but uh, obviously there seems to be a real interest in archaeology and, and hands-on types of things. Uh, Alyssa, what are your thoughts on that, the hands-on kind of thing? Obviously, for uh, for liability issues, you can't do that. But For liability, what, what it's certainly difficult to bring someone to a construction site. And uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, also, most of the archaeology in New York City does occur on construction sites. But, right. there, you know, there always has been that wow factor of archaeology, and I do believe people want to be involved, and they do want to see and participate in hands-on. I believe archaeology makes history tangible. It makes it very real. So in terms of experience, you know, right now bringing materials into classrooms and being able to share what we're doing and making it accessible by sharing that information as it happens with the public, I think is a good first step towards that inclusion. Well, you know, we're getting that kind of response. Um, people are saying uh, we're getting a lot of response from the UK, which is not very surprising because they have a very engaged public and they have a, a, a very interesting uh, infrastructure for archaeology. And we're getting comments uh, from one person saying we need to get involved with the school system, which is obviously something that you guys are doing. We need to educate journalists and try to divert them from their obsession with finding treasure. Uh, more community archaeology on the pattern of, in this case, Dig Manchester and Dig Greater Manchester, which are obviously local initiatives in, in, in the Midlands of, of the UK. And this sort of thing, as are being done in South Yorkshire with amateurs and volunteer groups, restore funding to museums and ensure all archaeological curator posts are filled, restore archaeology as an examined subject in schools and colleges. Another uh, reader, uh, listener writes, I suggest advertising, marketing, marketing, and make another theme action movie. Uh, <laughs> another one says, uh, let's explain the benefits of archaeology to society. Uh, another one uh, says, educate the children and show the importance that uh, and the benefits of archaeology 
where we come from will help us figure out where we should go. That's a pretty interesting comment. And here's a real interesting one. The field of archaeology appears to have no significant marketing outside of itself. I suspect the average person doesn't show an interest because they don't understand how the past relates to the present and the future or how it potentially relates to them, relates to them on a personal level. Unfortunately, the 21st century has become so polluted with frivolous and dumbed-down marketing, I believe most people have become numb and lack interest energy. Education is the primary key. Archaeology must somehow shake off the cloud of antiquity and be made alive in the light of today. Become a rock star. That fuels interest and excitement. Educate, engage, enliven, personalize. Those are the keys, in my opinion. Okay, here's another one that I think is great. Now, we'll have to close on this one. Do archaeological excavations hold construction and development up in urbanized areas? What are your thoughts on that real quickly? I think I'm going to pass that one to Tom, seeing as he's the one who has to manage that construction schedule. There is, um, we haven't had an adverse impact from the archaeological, um, you know, as far as the digs on our job. Um, as I had mentioned earlier, it's all hand excavation. There's private utilities uh, abound, certainly in lower Manhattan. So there's a need to dig with care at all times, whether they're digging for um, any city uh, facilities or the private uh, private utilities. So uh, it has not had an adverse uh, effect, and, and if anything, it certainly piqued the uh, the contractors, the, the workers that are out there. Um, it certainly enhanced their days um, because they're very, very excited when there is a potential find on the job. Well, I will. I, t- I, sorry. Go ahead. I, I, I have to saying. close up here, but I will tell you that the response to this question was overwhelmingly yes. And the big response, 70% says, yes, it may hold it up, and rightfully so. So um, I don't know what we can make of that, but obviously the interest in archaeology is, is, is very, very good. And, and I think you guys are showing us that the potential is very high for the meeting of the minds between um, the public image and the, the positive the work that you're doing. And on that note, I think we're going to have to wrap it up. I want to thank my guests, Tom Foley. Alyssa Loria and Amanda Sutfin for uh, bringing us this incredible information on how archaeology works in the urban environment and how we're getting all these forces and potentially conflicting parties to get together and give us a very, very productive uh, product. And uh, I want to thank you all for participating. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And good night. Thanks again for tuning in to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Please join us for another unique journey into the past next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In the meantime, think about the past with an eye towards the future and a better tomorrow. Tomorrow.